So we're doing a bit of a, a risky recording this morning, aren't we? Something like that. So um, you guys are in the same place, but in different rooms. Mm-hmm. And you're both using your own personal uh, hotspots from your iPhones. Yeah. Oh, well, let's, uh, uh, let's, we'll crack on with the show anyway and, and see how it goes. Actually, I have a question for you guys. You've got personal hotspots on your iPhones. Mm-hmm. Is that something that Apple restricts depending on your contract? Ah, uh, so they used to. Well, not used to. Yes, they do. So when I first got like the iPhone 3G, personal hotspots weren't a thing. And when you jailbroke it, you could get like a host APD type application to host it and like do tethering. And then they brought it into the operating system properly. I can't remember if it was the iPhone 4 or 5, Andrew, that, that, that it put it in properly. But your contract provider would have the ability to turn it off and on. So only some people would see it right. like in their um, you know, settings. And every phone I've had over the last couple of years has already had it. But I pay, I'm assuming I pay quite a bit of money for that feature. I don't, I don't know. Do you know, Andrew? As far as I'm aware, Jordan, um, oh wait, 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 what was the question? So, uh, I don't know about you guys, but, but for me on Thursday was a bit of a meltdown <laughs> uh, because of the, um, the CPU vulnerabilities that have been publicly announced by um, Google Project Zero and their associates. So this was this was interesting because before Christmas, I was reading a, an article. Um, I think it was on 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 Hacker News, and it was basically saying someone was like speculating. <laughs> Another pun there. Yeah. Someone was, uh, <laughs> but someone literally was speculating that um, something big was coming, like some kind of processor bug. I can't remember. I need to find that. I'll find it and see if I can put it in the show notes. But someone was basically making speculations because he, all the like the kernel developers were scrambling to get patches in for like an undisclosed processor bug. Yeah. And it, a lot of stuff was redacted and it was a lot of hush hush. And yeah. this guy was basically, rightly so, going, look, in the, in the first week of the new year, something is going to drop and it's going to be absolutely massive. And I'm not sure what it is, but here are a couple of things it could be. And if I remember correctly, he's almost got it. He almost got it kind of right from a few of the... Um, he probably didn't speculate. He probably knew, but just wanted to be like, oh, I think this is happening because I can't really disclose what's going on. But um, it was really interesting. I didn't realize how bad it would be until yeah. until the internet just blew up with ridiculous ideas of performance degradation that they think are happening, which I think are kind of over the top, but I don't think are yeah. nothing to be... I don't think it's like insignificant by any means, right? So my my experience of that was um, I do feel like perhaps I got some misinformation at start at the start of it because I remember seeing all sorts of different uh, numbers for um, the amount of performance decrease that people are seeing uh, early on. I saw people saying that it was a uh, 50% decrease. I saw 40, I saw 30, I saw 4, I saw 3. I saw lots of different numbers from lots of different people all saying different things. Yeah, and that's because it is like workload specific. I mean, it is workload specific. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it, it kind of, 
Um, and people were asking me about it. And I feel like perhaps some of the information that I got early on didn't really give me that, uh, that full picture. And, um, uh, you know, it, it was one of those ones where I was reading about it and I was like, oh, but this person says that. And, but I saw, because uh, I, I follow um, uh, a lot of data scientists on, on Twitter and they seem to say numbers around the, the 4 or 5% reduction. I saw some stuff on Hacker News. I saw them say that they saw a 50% reduction on AWS. Um, so I have seen those numbers, reports from people. But um, I think you, you have to be careful about those numbers and think, well, how what does it actually mean for my cloud solution? What does it mean for my machine? Because it's not, it, that's, that perhaps sounds a little bit scarier than it is. And I don't, re- I don't even know. I can't tell right now. I, all I know is that I have had users saying to me that applications are running slow. Um, and I ha- obviously Azure, um, Microsoft rebooted all of their VMs, essentially. They, they originally planned to do it uh, next week, but they ended up doing it this week. So they actually did it earlier than they were originally scheduled. Um, they sent out a lot of emails saying that the virtual machines were all going to be, uh, get some maintenance. Um, but the, that maintenance window went out of the window when they um, when they decided to do it all early. Uh, I also know, and you mentioned there, Jordan, about how um, people seem to have heard rumblings about this earlier on. I have uh, a vague recollection of hearing about something going on beforehand, same as you. And I also know that a lot of the tech journalists that write about, um, you know, the consumer things about Windows, but just Microsoft in general, um, they knew that uh, a lot of the Windows core engineers weren't on holiday between Christmas and New Year. Oh, yeah. And they were actually working, uh, uh, so I'm told, so I've read, that they were um, that they were working through midnight, uh, New Year's, compiling uh, patches. Uh, and I think that that gets out. Yeah, of course it does. Right? Of course it does. If, if all of these people are, uh, are sat in the office uh, over New Year's, I think if if, uh, if anyone kind of finds out about that, if that's an odd Yeah, appearance. I mean, I was watching a, a TV show on Netflix called Designated Survivor. Spoiler alert, by the way, for, for anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, I'm not going to spoil, spoil. And in a, in a similar kind of concept, the Pentagon, you know, obviously it's, it's about the US and, and like the president and military and stuff like that. And uh, there was a there was a line in it when, oh, we know there's a military operation going on because... Uh, the parking lot B where all the military commanders at park is full and it's been full all night kind of thing, you know? And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like that kind of same thing. It's like, why are there so many people in the office at the wrong times? Yeah. The, the lights, the lights are yeah. on. People are there. People aren't at home with their families where they should be. Um, yeah. But, um, it's probably worth mentioning though, what these attacks are, because I mean, we've just kind of gone straight into it and to say like, these are, these are like, these things are happening and your computer's slowing down, but there are actually two distinct different attacks here. How about, Jordan, uh, you give us a brief overview of Spectrum and Meltdown? I guess they're the, the two distinct different um, exploits. Um, I think the key thing here is a lot of this, um, it, it, they're not necessarily software exploits, right? The exploits that these are are hardware exploits um, to do with the processors. Um, and 
what that means is the resulting changes that are required um, to fix them are either kernel changes um, in a way that you ha- you have to like change the, the way thing like memory work is is being mapped in the kernel uh, and with spec to you you know you have to disable uh, microcode instructions actual um, instructions on the processor to to stop them. Um, like basically speculative jumps, and and I'll go into that a, a little bit more. And and the way f- the w- I mean, I'm in no way a security expert or a processor expert or even a, a I wouldn't even say I'm a I'm a software expert, but to, just to some degree. Um, but the I think there's been some debate as to which one's worse, Spectre or Meltdown, and um, I think it's it's a bit it's very hard to, to say which one's worse because so Spectre is probably the worst one that can directly affect us um, in in a way that's like more malicious and it's going to take more more time to kind of deal with because what it is 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 it's effectively um, it's a it's a hardware bug right your what's going on here is um, processes that they're very clever and and they're very fast, right? And the way that they get this performance in processes is that um, they do something called speculative branch ex- uh, speculative ex- execution, where they they basically execute code before um, you've actually like you need to actually run that code, and it basically predicts what the code is going to do um, before um, it does it, and the, that means it can like load different things much quicker. Um, i.e., let's say I'm loading a bit of mem. Uh, Okay, the, the best example I can give here is, let's say you've got an array of data, right? Say an array of 10 items, and you do a check on the array, and you say, if my array is, um, you know, the array count is 10, or is, is less is, is less than 10, then, you know, I access some index in, in the array. And what your processor will do when, when, um, when, it, when it's, it's looking at that code, it'll go, oh, You've got an if statement here, right? And you're looking at and saying, well, count all the arrays, you know, the length as, as 10, for instance. That means that you've, you, that there's a likelihood is you've got 10 items in that array, right? So go fetch from RAM all 10 items of that array, right? Before you've even accessed an, an index of that array. So it's cached processor wise, it's cached and you can access that in the next statement much quicker than if you did the check, loaded it, and then had to reload it again, for instance. And and I'm I'm kind of oversimplifying this here because you know it's 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 not just as as simple as going well, just load some some memory. You have to know a lot about um, the the layout of mem- like the layout of memory on the machine, and you have to know a little bit about how to trick the processor into actually making these instructions happen. So it's quite it's it's a timing attack because in in the sense that that cache will only be there for a certain period of time when the if the branch predictors are um, are predicting that you can access some memory for instance that data is only cached or there or available in that context for so much time before it's evicted right so it's heavily dependent on the time it's like a timed attack you have to know precisely when to execute certain instructions to actually um effectively cause this bug to happen and what what happens is it loads more memory than it should for instance memory from a different process a different user mm-hmm. process because it's basically loaded a load of memory that it thinks you've got access to but you don't and that memory could be a different program you know or it could or be a password it could be it a password be... it could be an ssh key the, the... Uh, it could yeah be... it could be anything it could be and 
So what's the fix for this, right? So you've got something where if someone with enough knowledge of the system, because you need to be, it's not like anyone can exploit this. You know, you need to know how computers work and you need to know how, uh, like I said, the layouts of, of memory work and how cache eviction works, etc. Um, and and it's, pro- it's, pro- it's much more complex than, than I guess I'm making out. But in the fix for mm-hmm. this is not a software patch. It's your processor executing instructions, right? So the chip manufacturers have had to go and say, uh, crap, crap, what what are we going to do? Oh, the only thing we can do is disable speculative branch execution. And by the way, that's not what they've done. They've disabled a set of instructions that, that allow for kind of, um, I don't, not necessarily unauthorized speculative branch execution, but certain types of branch execution where you it kind of can jump to arbitrary mm-hmm different like different bits of memory right and what this means is that for most of the time branch prediction will get it 99% right you know 99% of the time your processor will predict before you've run some code that you need access to certain bits of memory and 99% of the time it will hit because it's like it's like having a cache yeah. a hit and miss right and sometimes it'll miss and it won't it won't get it right and you won't get the performance increase that you would normally get but what that means is that that cash hit ratio or that speculation um, hit ratio where it gets it correct is reduced from something like 99% to 70% on the processor level, which is a huge, huge thing. Because if you think about how many millions of instructions um, it runs a second and how many branches and how many things it's doing a second, that's a, that is a that is almost a 30% decrease in performance if you look at that kind of math. But it isn't, it, it isn't that there's 30% performance decrease because it, it's not hitting you know there's a 30 percent less cash hit rate it's, it's nothing like that and by cash hit rate i mean like hitting the speculative execution that you that would be correct but what it means is for certain workloads that rely heavily mm-hmm. on you know high performance processes like databases mm-hmm. and, and well not necessarily databases sorry but um just you know any kind of code where where the processor can do its magic to increase performance, um, you're going to see some form of hit because you're not going to get the same kind of um, cache hit ratio, right? You, you know, it's like having mm-hmm. a, a Redis cache somewhere that's caching certain things that you hit, like keys, and instead of it hitting it 90% of the time, it's hitting it 70% of the time. You're going to, and that hits then, a, you know, it actually has to go and, and fetch RAM multiple mm-hmm. times rather than hitting like an L2, L3 cache in terms of speed of performance. So, yeah, that's the hard, obviously that's the hardest one to fix in this instance because um, it's hardware bug. And also the, the connotations of this, the, the, the things that this can be used for, you can basically write a program. Anyone can write a program. And if they've got enough information about the system in user land, can access these like, you know, passwords or keys in memory. But that's mm-hmm. it's not limited to just writing C programming and running code on your computer. It's it means that it, this affects things like interpreters, like the JavaScript interpreter that runs in Chrome, right? Which means if you run, mm-hmm. get you know, go to a website and that website will undoubtedly run JavaScript. You've you're now you're now susceptible to some kind of attack where the system can the system of attack could technically read if if hit, if hit correctly could technically read arbitrary 
data from uh, well, memory from your user processes, right? Um, and that's scary. Imagine, you know, and we've seen we've seen uh, examples of this, haven't we? I, th- I think um, people have shown proof of concepts whereby um, you know key loggers uh, grabbing passwords out of applications can all be done. Yeah, and and that's the scary thing because it's not like you have to download and install something on your computer and it's scanned by an antivirus or and and even then you know that's not not great. But the this is like right. Think about China for instance. They have the Great Firewall of China. Yeah, anything served out yep. of China, they can inject. Their, we've seen cases where they've like DDoS like GitHub for instance by injecting extra JavaScript into people's JS files served out of China to basically DDoS someone i.e. adding more JavaScript to someone else's JavaScript. Now that's yeah. running someone's browser. Imagine if, if if you know, someone did something similar on that kind of scale where they effectively man in the middle um, GitHub's JavaScript or something like that. Or, I don't know, some new site's JavaScript. That would be it, pwned. You know, every computer that goes to that site that... that hits Chrome or Firefox, um, like the JavaScript engine in there could be pwned. In, unless it's been patched. Unless it's been patched. And um, I think uh, Apple Apple have done theirs, Microsoft have done theirs. I think Apple are currently pending to release. They've, they've, um, yeah, yeah, I've not got they've, it yet. They've got an update ready, um, ah. but they're preparing to release it I, I guess they don't want to i know this is serious but i guess they don't want to end up in the same situation that they ended up with the previous vulnerability they had where the first fix they did caused something else to break and then they had to release a second fix so they're probably just being a bit more cautious about it i guess yeah and 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 so they should yeah that's probably a wise move um i from from my side i just saw kind of uh, the microsoft um response really because that's that's what all my machines are um and not only did they do an outbound update for windows they also did um they also did uh, a lot of updates to the back the back end of azure um and they were pretty quick about it uh yeah it, it did cause some headaches on on the thursday certainly as these machines rebooted um but yeah, I think the response has, has been really, really quick, actually, from Microsoft. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite impressive. Yeah, but, you know, it's worth knowing that they've had months to, to deal with this. Yeah, so they've known about it for longer than we have, certainly. Um, now, it's it's my understanding that people knew about this in, was it November? Is, yeah, and, there'll have been is, at least 90 days beforehand, because Google's Project Zero's policy is they will give you 90 days before they disclose yeah. it. So. And... But I, but we do know that the uh, the Intel CEO sold a yeah. lot of stock. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he sold twenty five yeah. million dollars worth of his stock, pretty much all of it. Um, in Ju- July, was it? I think uh, no. I think it was. Uh, I thought it was in November, but I I might be wrong. And this is the thing: like misinformation about this, like the details, the things that I've seen on Twitter, I haven't necessarily gone and backed up, and I'm I'm starting to realize that now that uh, some of the things that I saw aren't necessarily true. Um, right. But I, I was under the impression it was in November, but perhaps they knew about it um, six months ago or whatever. The funny, the funny thing is, though, 
the Intel stock hasn't moved, which is actually really strange. You would have thought a processor flaw like this would cause stop. Maybe. Stop. But having yeah. said that, it affects all chip manufacturers, right? Um, this is right. This is not limited to Intel, right? This is this is a this is in ARM chips and 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 various other different types of processors. But um, I say various. There's only like three. But you, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. The the funny thing is that they're gonna the the fix for this is obviously a new generation of processors, but which means yes. Intel will have to sell new processors to people. So it's kind of like. Well, we have <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, there's obviously a trust you're gonna, thing. So you're going to have to buy. Yeah, but it's like all three, all th- the three big manufacturers who sell chips all have the same problem. Mm-hmm. You're not, no, there's no, not going to be another processor manufacturer that comes up in the next year. AMD with aren't troubled with it though, are they? I've heard they, AMD yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they are. are, yeah. Uh, they, they're just not susceptible to certain types, um, um, certain types of. And that's why, they, that's why there's two, that's why they've kind of got these two names for it because Meltdown and uh, Spectre are kind of two different things, but combined they, they basically, um, everything is affected right. by one okay. or the other yeah. or both. Yes. Yeah, so Melt- Meltdown doesn't affect AMD x86 processors. Um, but that's it. Says it's not. Or ARM chips is that? Is it's just Intel, isn't it? Meltdown. Um, it's Intel x86 is meltdown, um, and and certain ARM chips, certain ARM chips. Right, like right. so, for instance, the Raspberry Pi, it, it it has a it doesn't have the same. It's not a similar. It's a similar type of processor to to that in like cheaper phones, right? Or um, yeah, it's like a it's like a quad core entry level you know, system on a chip that can run Linux, right, effectively. And, and when I mean can run Linux, I mean it's, like, powerful enough to, to run a full operating system. Um, and if I remember correctly, it, it uses something called, like, a superscalar processor mm-hmm. um, to, to get the speed improvements rather than the same kind of branch prediction that, um, that um, like, normal processors get. Um and if I, and I think that's related to Spectre, but I haven't really read m- enough about it. Like I put it in my reading list to have a look at why, because Raspberry Pi released a, an article on on it, and I can't remember if it's Meltdown or Spectre that they're not susceptible to. My guess is it is probably Spectre that it's not susceptible to, because if it's not got the same kind of speculative branch prediction that most processors have, then it's probably not going to be susceptible to the same kind of attacks. Meltdown is a little bit different. Um, and it's, 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 it's kind of, it's worse for certain people than it is for others. For instance, Spectre is not as bad for cloud providers as Meltdown at this point in time, because cloud providers run virtual machines and, 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 you know, basically are more susceptible to, to what Meltdown, um, could potentially bring in terms of exploits uh, and meltdown basically um, allows when exploited allows you to read kernel address space memory yeah right now if you recall we've we've talked about um address space layout randomization before and that's basically where when you boot up a um a program in userland it will randomize the address space of that mm-hmm. effective virtual memory in that program. So you can't, if you know, if someone were to exploit your program and look through the address space to try and find something to like access someone else's, a different process or access to the kernel, which is a slightly different uh, concept in this case, then, you know, every time you, you, you reboot or um, restart 
the, the address space will be different, which makes it much harder for you to exploit, right? Yeah. And then, <clears throat> so that's ASLR on an application level. KSLR, which is kernel address space layer randomization, it randomizes the address space of the kernel. So, for instance, your kernel will have addresses in there for specific things like, um, you know, interrupt vectors, i.e. timers, um, system calls, obviously, you know, yeah. all sorts of different... I.O. I.O., everything, yeah. right? And if you were to pwn and get um, a, a kernel exploit, right, where you could read the address space of the kernel, then you've literally got full access to the system. You know, if you know, the, you would know which calls to make on your computer to, like, I don't know, write a file to disk or something. Do you know, do you know what I mean? It's, like, literally every system call in the kernel controls the hardware. You know, it controls everything. So, you know, that's the worst kind of exploit you could get. Um, now, with Meltdown, KSLR becomes kind of redundant. In, in it, Like, you need more than, than um, address space layout randomization in the kernel for this. Meltdown effectively allows user land code. It, it basically allows user space code to access kernel space memory, right? Yeah. And the the fix for this is that they need to isolate kernel, like they need to isolate the user processes memory from the kernel processes at a page table level. So they... They've they've kind of come in with all these patches to basically isolate the kernel space memory and the user space memory. It's completely separate. Whereas they may exist with with KSLR, they may exist in the same memory space, and obviously it's all the addresses are randomized. So even if you were to get past the memory isolation boundary that the 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 the, the processor has in place. So for instance, if you were to try if you were trying to access kernel memory from a user space application, there are safeguards in place. There's like an isolation in place. But they're still stored in kind of like the same page tables, right? They're still stored in the same place, but there's there's a process in place that kind of stops you from going over that boundary. Kind of like the blood brain brain barrier, right? Mm-hmm. And what <laughs> what Meltdown do, does is completely obliterate that. So the fix for that is kernel page table isolation, right? And that basically means, imagine removing the head from the body and connecting it by a message queue that is like running, <laughs> like it's just completely isolated. It's like a completely isolated um, from body to brain is completely isolated. And what that means is every time you want to make a system call now, there's an added overhead, Right. Yeah. There's a there's a much and and that's that's a huge problem for database applications specifically. Yeah, like anything that yeah, like SQL, I can imagine. Yeah. SQL, Mongo, anything that uses this I/O intensive and you know. So so yeah, um, and and this is this is and I'm kind of kind of blabbering on a little bit about it, but the reason why this is so bad for cloud providers and it's probably the one that they focus Mm -hmm. on the most is because if you're running virtual machines like aws and azure and you get a a host you know you've got these host machines and you get a guest that is malicious then they could technically access host the host memory or someone else's virtual machines memory and because they're running on the same physical cpu you're using virtualized cpus exactly exactly and and this is something that i don't i'm pretty sure amd is the one that AMD is not susceptible to. Now, I can't remember the exact specifics because I've not read up on it enough, but 
if I, if I, if I remember correctly, an AMD CPU's KSLR is enough because the that process I was talking about about the user space and the kernel space isolation. Um, that's all done by processors. Like the processor has different types of like flags um, to say what level of memory you can access. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure yes. it holds up in AMD um, x86, but I'm 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 not 100 sure. I could be wrong, so please don't. If anyone is listening to this, don't take everything I'm saying as gospel here, because you know we've not everyone's had enough time to digest this. Well, I know I haven't. I know I haven't. I know I haven't. Yeah, um, it's been it's very early, and I think. Um, you know, people have been busy as well, so we haven't. I mean, me personally, <clears throat> pardon me, I haven't had a chance to kind of read more about this. I'm wondering what you, how you guys think will this this will play out over the next couple of weeks and when it potentially will die down. So this is an interesting thing because I I saw people speculating that this may slow uh, adoption of cloud um, services mm. because. Potentially, it's more expensive for less performance now. Well, it's the same, you know, the, the, right, the yeah. you don't get as much uh, performance for your money. But um, what's the alternative there? I mean, me personally, from if I put uh, if I think about it from a business point of view, um, okay, if I ha- if I ran all this stuff in my own infrastructure, I'd have to update it all myself. At least with it being all in the cloud, all of that management all of that updating mm-hmm. and patching has been or can be handled for you. So I don't think it is a, I don't think it's necessarily going to slow down cloud adoption. Um, but depends, I would say that it depends. It kind of seems like this is the, the you know, it, it was the day that the computers all went slow because mm-hmm. I, you know, I literally had people saying to me, why is everything so slow? And yes, it was partly because of uh, upgrades happening in the background, but it'll be interesting to see over time. If we look back on this as, as, and seeing it as a bit of a, a change, you know, the, the, the day the, the computers went slower, or if we don't even notice day to day, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it plays out. Um, I'd, I'd also be interested to see what it means for a next generation of processors. Yeah. Um, whether they will, it will stop. Um, it will uh, kind of force people to come up with better ideas for increasing performance mm-hmm. and so on. Um, you know, these kinds of these kinds of drawbacks kind of uh, is is the kind of time when humans thrive, right? They, there's a challenge, and they need to solve it, and you know, these uh, CPU manufacturers uh, employ some very bright people and they probably thrive on such challenges. And it'd be interesting to see if we end up being better off in the next generation of processors uh, because of it. But um, it's uh, based on what I know, I think it's too early to speculate. It's interesting to, to, to see. And uh, it's, it's one that I'm actually going to try and pay attention to as it, as it progresses over the years. But um, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to slow down cloud adoption, which is what some of the, some people I've, I've seen uh, claim. No. What I'm, do you guys think? But I mean, this is, this is the thing. Like, I mean, I'm concerned because it's all about the cost. People who, who have, who have kind of, I, I think I was, I was listening to to another podcast uh, regarding this and with, with Andrew and, 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 you know, the idea that, this will infect businesses from a cost point of view. And 
people yeah. who predict how much CPU usage they need for date rates now are completely out. And the, the, yeah. it's kind of an unknown now where all these benchmarks over the last several years for all these process, uh, process intensive applications or database intensive applications. They've kind of all yeah, gone out absolutely. the window. They, they think about the uh, the uh, calculator you get on the Azure site that tells you, uh, you know, if you say how much throughput you're doing, mm. and it estimates what kind of um, what level of infrastructure you need to pay for. Exactly. But this, but but this wouldn't stop you using the cloud, though, would it? It wouldn't stop you using Amazon and AWS. I, I think no. I think the the fact that they are quick to respond and they had it patched pretty quickly is a good thing like it may be well we don't really know how long it took yeah but i mean like obviously in terms of all right now we know about this and they've actually released a public disclosure yeah yeah, public disclosure it seems seemed fast but you're right the the, one of the benefits of having things in the cloud and a managed you know service and things like that is that it's all sorted for you and you can just get on with your day well not you know obviously there's a lot of stuff to do around that but you don't have to manually patch things yourself yeah but that's 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 a good thing and a bad thing right some people Mm -hmm. will 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 opt to go and say well if i've got a ton of hardware and i'm not virtualizing it then i'm not really i don't really care about meltdown because i'm running my own applications on this and if i get pwned then i've got bigger problems to to worry about um than just meltdown because for, for lots of different reasons. So you can kind of say, well, I don't want the meltdown. I don't want the kernel page table isolation fixes um, mm-hmm. on my version of, of Linux when true. I'm running my Postgres database. I mean, Spectre's a bit different. Um, you know, like, I think there's it's a can of worms that we've really, we've yet to understand the, the ramifications of this um, mm-hmm. on a level that, so... There's, it's cat and mouse game. Exploits are always a cat and mouse game. And while, so no one really knows, and to quote, you know, someone we know very well, we don't know what we don't know. And that's, there's a big version of that slapped on this whole scenario. And it's going to take years. The fallout from this is going to be years in the making. We're talking about different types of processor architecture, need like changes. You know, we need to think about performance problems we've got this will this this will directly impl- impact how people write their software we've got it's like do you remember jules we've had conversations about hardware where, where we've we've got like one or two gig of ram and we're trying to like conserve memory and we're like well we've got two gig of ram to use we might as well use you know as much of it as necessary without having to over optimize you know we don't have to let's not think about over optimizing like memory performance to start with like if, if we're only using 40 or 50 meg, we don't need to optimize the memory just yet because we've still got another 1.95 gig available. And mm-hmm. that's the kind of, you've got to, it's the same kind of thing with Meltdown. It's like mm-hmm. system call optimization, how many system calls you're making now will directly impact your performance, right? Yeah. Whereas people can just make them willy-nilly and not really care because, you know, it'll be fast and, you know, even if it, you know, you do need to optimize it, they might do a little bit, and it's the same kind of principle now. It will directly affect how people write their code, or it should do if they want performant applications. Um, mm. You know, and a, a good example is, you know, um, the gentleman who created Redis, uh, Salvatore um, Antares, on 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 GitHub. He did some benchmarks of Redis, and he's seeing like a thirty five percent hit. In performance 
right? That's ridiculous, right? And I feel for people like I, f- like you know, we're talking about things yeah. going from eight hundred, sorry, one point, yeah, a million requests per second to eight hundred fifty thousand requests per second for gets. Similar performance hit on, um, well, you know, it d- depends if it's pipelined or not pipelined, and that's that's something completely different, anyway. Um, well, this is actually something I was I was thinking about. Is there's two parts. This one, and when it to- when it comes to choosing like an open source technology, a lot of them will have, you know, performance uh, stats. Are we now like this is a bit? It's, it's a bit less. Yeah, don't trust any of exactly. them. Exactly. Are we now gonna have you to can't. see? Uh, you know, one's pre pre patch and post patch, and also now when something comes out that's new, that's like, oh yeah, well it's really fast. There will be something that's older that stated it was faster previously, but is no longer anymore, and we won't have updated stats yeah. of that. So that as a developer, that is a problem. Yeah, you got to throw in the fact that there's going to be a new generation of CPUs as exactly. well, and this code, the old code, is going to work with the new CPUs. It's a there's a lot of compatibility. In yeah, it. and also there's the there's the fact that people are now buying you know blazingly fast iMac Pros, and they're all crazy about the performance on them. You know, there's a lot of numbers around there, and now all those numbers are now fake. Not fake, but well, they're not old. fake, but they're old and. Yeah, you're not going to get the actual performance, exactly. and I think that's going to be that's going to be the case for everything. You know, surfaces, uh, iMacs, which is whatever. actually very they're interesting all, for when slower. when the the Mac Pro comes out because the Mac Pro is supposed to be faster than the iMac Pro, but it will have a new CPU, I imagine, hopefully, or well, it'll, it'll be patched at least, right by default. So, will it be the same? Will it be slower as the iMac Pro unpatched? Like, it'll be interesting to see. It will be interesting to see. And one thing that I will, you know, last kind of word on this, I'll be interested to see how much this ends up being um, like public knowledge versus just Mm. the techies. Uh, Because I would be, I'd be interested because obviously it was all over the news, but a lot of people don't, they don't really think about it. They don't really understand it, but it would be really interesting if someone like Apple at one of their events called this stuff out and showed yeah. how much better it is it'd be it'd be interesting to see how that happens because i mean obviously cloud providers their their uh, audience is people like us but uh consumer electronics uh it'd be interesting to see i think it'll be um it'd be interesting to see what how these companies react to it over the progression of this issue because this isn't this isn't going to go away and there's you know older versions of windows aren't going to get patched there's a lot of servers out there that haven't been patched yet there's a lot of old boxes that people just don't look after mm-hmm. um there's a lot of old phones that aren't going to get patched yeah. there's a lot of stuff out there that is still going to be uh exploitable and uh, you know, how long does it take for some of that stuff to get out of the wild? Will we see waves? Will we see people who, um, obviously this is just the start, mm-hmm. but is there going to be an exploit, a, a crazy exploit that comes out and just, you know, um, causes mayhem for all this stuff? Uh, you know, like those worms that they had um, for um, SQL Server and, and Windows in the past. Um, I, it's going to be really interesting to see. 
Hello, listener. Thank you for sticking by through the uh, little issues we had at the start there. It was a bit of a tricky recording. If you'd like to tweet us a question for uh, answering on the show, you can tweet us at Mavis Podcast. And if you uh, want to find the show notes for today's episode, you can go to mavispodcast.com slash 15. So recently there was a, an article going around that Apple were working on universal apps across iOS and macOS. Um, this is very interesting because uh, this is something that could be taken one way and could be taken another. And one way is that mm, yeah, uh, could. the the initial thought of it is that a UI kit will now be available for the uh, the Mac, which mirrors essentially iOS, which is actually something that people have wanted for a very long time. The other way is that you are running the exact same apps on both devices, which is not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to kind of have your initial thoughts about this. Um, Obviously, you guys aren't, well, sorry, Jules, you are not, you at least, Jules, are not uh, an Apple user. Um, I'm not an Apple user, no. Jordan has an iPhone, but doesn't have a Mac anymore, so he won't Hmm. necessarily be affected by this, but it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, well, okay. So the reason that this is super interesting to me is, big surprise, uh, the the Microsoft aspect of it, Mm -hmm. because of the fact that... um, they've been through this uh, already with Windows and they're still on it. They're still working on it now. Um, And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the approach is different for Apple because we don't currently know. Um, And it it raises a ton of questions. But so uh, the way that Microsoft have done it is that they have their their one core uh, mm-hmm. which I think is the the name that they call it, the actual Windows One core, which is a unified uh, kernel and the OS core. And they completed that work in about um, 2015. And then on, so that's one universal part of it. Yeah. Right. And and so I'm going to just name a couple of things and then we'll, we'll see how they match up with Apple or and it'll all be speculation, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also got UWP, which is their unified app platform which means that an application can, in theory, be written once and it works across x86, uh, x64, ARM, Xbox, whatever. And I'll come back to this one in a second because this is is probably the one that um, may be most relevant. I don't know. We'll see. And then forward-looking, they're still got... So those are the things that they've done and they've completed and that are in place. And forward-looking, they're now looking at... um, uh, doing another version of Windows on ARM, which is the version, the full version of Windows that runs on Qualcomm Snapdragon and can emulate uh, Win32, uh, which is which would provide essentially not just one core, but the larger, bigger, what we think of as Windows being universal. So it's not just the core, it's mm-hmm. the other stuff as well. And obviously you need a shell for that. So, um, you know, in terms of the phone and the pc right now they have two different shells even if they share the same core and microsoft are working on having a universal shell which works across both now this is obviously a multi-year thing yeah Yeah. so the idea of having you know the the windows on arm and the c shell the composable shell are we're we're not going to bother trying to compare those to apple because i don't think that's what they're trying to do Mm -hmm. right they're they're not going to they're not going to try and make a universal shell that works across both so 
they've they've already got and i don't know the full details here you guys probably know a bit more but they've already they already share the same kernel between ios and mac os don't they they're, they're or they're based on the same kernel they're based on the same kernel they're not they're yeah. not the same um right so they've already got some work in place now they they deliberately have multiple operating systems don't they so they've got like watch os and tv they're, they're like yeah. treated as separate things There's four or five now so so this is where i think based on what i've seen it's it's not that they're trying to do a one core equivalent because they've got something similar now. Mm-hmm. It's not that the fact that they're trying to take Mac OS and put it onto a, a different type of chip, which is the equivalent of the windows on arm. It's the UWP part. Yes. As far as they aware, are yeah. working on. And that's going to be really interesting to see their approach. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can only assume that they're going to take the kits and everything from iOS and move them up right to mac os so there's obviously there's a lot of like technical aspects of this that's very interesting in terms of the ios ui framework on a mac because of the when it comes down to things like the interactions and the, the scaling of yeah. things and the standard controls it's it's an interesting one uh i don't think that i mean i don't personally i don't want instagram for my iphone being the exact same app that's running on my <laughs> Mac. I don't want to just you know in a tiny little simulator looking yes. screen. So I don't want that. Um, just just to give Instagram absolutely perfect example. Uh we have a UWP version of Instagram and it is the same application on the PC but Windows PC as it is on the phone. Right. So it's the, it's the same are thing. Are there any like Except size classes there though where like you know, it you can resize the window, and does it um, get any different, like more of a, a a computer application versus a mobile application? Yeah, it it is it is it is wider, but but keep in mind that this is this is how you know Facebook, Instagram have decided to do it, and they've actually done it slightly differently because they've also got a universal Facebook application and a universal um, uh, Messenger application. Uh, which is the same thing basically yeah. uh and then instagram instagram too so basically all of those things are um you know universal on, on windows and it's the same it's the same app uh it it does the kind of things that you'd expect if you took a mobile website mm-hmm. and just made it responsive that goes up right yeah. like you still have this this idea of a single column for instagram for Messenger, it's a little bit different because they have the bar on the side and then they have the the the, the main kind of um, conversation window. So they have taken more advantage of that extra space. But essentially, they are the mobile applications that have been brought up to be available in, in, the, in the desktop. Now, they're using their own UI kits to do this. Well, the UI uh, kit is the UI kit for... Sorry, no, yeah. their own... Yeah, so I, not UI kit as in... Apple's oh, specific thing. I yeah. mean, they're using their own uh, React Native oh, um, yes. yeah. stuff, and they don't use uh, Project Centennial or any other the other stuff. They've basically d- chosen their own option to build these applications, and the Universal Windows platform allows for this. So they're not using UWP controls, but they're using the UWP APIs. Mm-hmm. Now, the UWP controls. Uh, are probably similar to what you get in a UI kit. So when you have a button, mm-hmm. right? So there's a, there's probably there's a button in UI kit, I assume, right? Yep, there is. 
Now, in UWP, that button can take input from a pen, a finger, gaze from your eyes using the, the HoloLens, uh, obviously a mouse, mm. keyboard. You can tab. It's got uh, the ability to tab over it and press a space bar to, to select it. You have defaults where you press enter. Right. And not all of these devices have these, but they build this common control set that basically says button. Button can do everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Button can respond to all of these things. Now, iOS doesn't have a mouse. Correct. Right? So, so presumably there's no hover states. No, exactly. There's no so you, click events. You have you have various things like... Um, so, click isn't just as simple as click. You've got... Uh, I think they call it touch up inside, which means that you have to click it and... Uh, you, when you when you let go of that click, it still remains inside of the button, which gives you the ability to, if you accidentally click, you can drag away before you let go and um, not click. So that is, they have certain events like that mm-hmm. which which differ. Yeah, but they do not have hover events or, you know, that kind of thing like tabbing events. I guess you know when if you could tab across an outline. Things my guess, work. my guess would be that they would add that they would be adding all of those on top. So th- the main problem with building with the mac sorry and building uis is that the what they call it but the the mac ui tools are horrific and with the invention of ui kit everyone was like this is awesome you know this is amazing and we can do it really quickly and going back to the mac is is hard work even though you can write swift that runs on both the mac and the the uh, you know ios apps um or oh, sorry ios um it's still incredibly hard to get a decent Mac app that works well and is really well designed because no, like Mac developers are just because of the UI side of things, they're really cherished now. They're like the older ones. Everyone's getting into iOS development, so that has the main focus. Now, if thou if you were able to potentially see. Use, it's the same tools, isn't yeah, it? If you can exactly. take the tools, the things that the that the iOS developers already know and mm-hmm. use. So we're talking the tool chain, yep. the APIs, um, the skills, the, the the actual you know skills mm-hmm. that the people need to know, and make it so that they can apply those skills to making macOS applications. And, and where you're going with this, you don't have things like gesture gesture recogni- uh, recognizers, which you do on iOS. You don't have those on the Mac. Mm. I mean, I guess I guess you could do with the trackpad. I'm not entirely sure. Wow. Well, yeah, and this and this kind of comes back to something maybe we'll we'll talk about a bit more um, after we've finished discussing the kind of the technicals of the um, of the actual uh, uh, code. Mm-hmm. But it does kind of raise a question of: Does this mean that iOS is going to get a cursor, or does it mean that macOS is going to get touch screen rather than just a touch bar and, a, and a, i would be surprised and a, and a, and a pad if either or does it mean happen. no yeah does it mean neither are going to happen uh, yeah i think they're just going to try and right. make things things work and give the ability to for yeah. people to be flexible and with it, those and like i said you know the 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 microsoft stuff it's taken them a long time to get to where they are mm-hmm. right it it uh the it was originally based on on the work that they did for Silverlight, which was um, way back. It was originally a, a, a browser plugin, 
Um, and that has formed the basis of not only uh, the cross-platform .NET um, core, but it's also uh, the basis for uh, the Universal Windows platform. <laughs> Excuse me, the Universal Windows platform. Mm-hmm. So um, they, it's it's a very long time coming, and I wonder how far into the process Apple is. We what we may see at first is just the tooling is updated so that it can make mac os and ios applications yeah. at the same time in the same tools not necessarily run compile once run everywhere mm-hmm. um a lot of i don't know if this is still the case but last time i had uh, an apple device was um an ipad mini right and i wanted to try a number of applications on it and uh, some of the applications i wanted uh didn't have ipad versions so it was just the i it was the iphone ui like in a black window is that is that still the case for ipad apps right so um so you sorry you're talking about when you run an iphone app yes on an an ipad so they introduced size classes into ui kit which is basically uh different size classes for the different devices um luckily they're not android so they don't just do it on a pixel basis they have specific you know iPhone 5, iPhone 6, iPhone 6 Plus, that kind mm-hmm. of size. Um, so when they introduced that, it meant that you could then use the same UI and just adjust things differently for the uh, the different devices. So they don't have that for the Mac, but uh, back to the point is that if you didn't update your app with a size class or supporting that size or a new UI with that size and a new build then you would end up with the iPhone app um, running oh, yeah. in, in kind of a boxed mode and zoomed in, in and it's horrible. Yeah. The, the other thing is that when a new, you know, a new iPhone comes out, for example, this happened with the iPhone X, um, and it still happens to this day. Luckily, most of us have updated, but at least that I use. Um, when that came out, you got the iPhone, the standard iPhone size, so the iPhone 7 size, not the Plus, apps running with some black bars at the top and bottom and in fact slightly oh, yeah. as well. Out- Outlook and Skype were took a, took a couple of weeks to get Spotify as well, in. yeah. Um yeah, was Outlook and Spotify were the two for me that were taking the most uh, time. So they do that they do that kind of thing basically for size classes. So I guess it'd be interesting because a lot of people build Mac apps to run essentially at any size. Obviously you've got like minimums that works yeah, but yeah. because we have a range of different screen sizes on on a computer, scaling, scaling Instagram up to a twenty seven inch display, right? Exactly, and it's like, do do we then end up with size classes for every kind of Apple display, or are we doing it? Are we going to add any like pixel basis? It'll be very interesting to see how they handle the the screen size side of things, because they've they've been lucky with the limited set that they have of um, iOS devices and UI kit. But adding the computers, you know, all those different sizes of computers in, that is a that is interesting. Because people have Mac Minis, Mac Pros, with, and, and in fact, MacBook Pros that have external displays, MacBooks that have, you know, any kind of Mac can have an external display, essentially. So they have to deal with every size of external display, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, it really will be. Um, the... The way that uh, UWP does this is it ha- it has an understanding of obviously the DPI, 
but then it has snap points like break points which you would have in yeah in, in any kind of responsive um mm-hmm. you know application but they uh they have controls that do this for you so if you have a menu bar on say the left hand side of the application um when you uh if you use the default uh controls uh it yeah. it will automatically respond and resize depending on on the size so when you're on like uh, if if you full screen or maximize an application it expands out and it takes up the full width that it can on the side and has the full names and then when you go shrink down it'll collapse into the smaller um mm-hmm. the smaller version but the benefit of uwp is that all of that is just built in so it, it right you exactly. don't need to do a lot of work there to just say th- collapse it at this stage and expand it at this stage and so on so there's not you don't have to do a, a ton of work there uh it's it's easier to make a responsive uwp application as long as you know the platform than it is to make a, a responsive web application because of the web application you're right. often rolling your own stuff right unless you're just using an yep. off-the-shelf um framework Grid system um, but UWP just kind of gives you give, uh, the the built-in controls, just give you a lot of that stuff. And then they have community controls mm-hmm. on top, actually. So uh, they've got this thing called the community toolkit, which is on GitHub, and it has um, any any extra control that you haven't yet thought of, you know, radial uh, 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 diagrams and spinners yeah. and all you know all these kind of extra things uh, are available as a community add-on, which of course scales across the xbox down to the to the to the phone um presumably apple will have to provide those kinds of things yeah i mean it's it's interesting i i kind of i don't really know what more to say on this apart from we'll have to see when when it comes to it because there are a lot of specifics that we don't know how they are going to handle and that is interactions sizing across different displays and lack of certain things in other devices, for example, the cursor and a touchscreen on each platform. Well, so it's it's. I, I want to ask you one thing. Um, mm-hmm. If if they did add a cursor to uh, iOS, and basically they added it so that your because you are a big user of your iPad Pro, and if they made it so oh, that it was available of, yeah. on there. Do you think that's something that you would want or do you think you dislike that idea? Because I know you use an external keyboard with it, which means that you need to touch the screen to be able to do anything. Would you like having a mouse? Yeah. Hmm. This is a this is a tough question because this is me trying to form the iPad into something it's not. Well, I don't know, and... but but is does it mean that there's more powerful iPad applications would be available because you'd write so a full screen iPad Pro application could be like a um a Mac OS application. Yeah, like so one of the examples that people are using is Photoshop. It's like imagine being able to run the entirety of Photoshop just on the iPad, which is amazing. Like that'd be great. Imagine I mean if the audio situation was fine, I could record a podcast with my iPad and instead of taking a Mac around, I would just take my iPad. Yeah. And, you know, something that I've tried to do in the past so many times is develop on the the iPad, which isn't yeah. available for me unless I run something in the cloud. Yeah, so if, if you I have a code editor I did have the problem in the past. Yeah, so I did have the problem in the past where I was running, you know, a VM, a Mac VM in oh, yeah. that company. And I couldn't basically have a mouse. And that was annoying. 
But now I don't think I would benefit from a mouse with what I do on the iPad. Um, but it would be interesting to have. Again, it's kind of like forming the iPad into something it isn't. And I think Apple are very set in their ways with what the iPad is and people are very happy with that. Uh, I mean, you get like us, I guess, I'm trying to use it as a laptop and it's not. It's not a laptop. So it's interesting. However, I would be happy with a massive, massive iPad Pro that I could use and edit a podcast on using just my hands, for example. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. Um, I'm not sure how efficient that would be, but it's something to, to dream for, I guess. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. Um, it's interesting to see. And uh, yeah, this is another one that we're going to have to uh, wait and see, I think. So, Julian, I noticed recently that uh, since Microsoft are working on a Nintendo DS again, <laughs> it's actually uh, oh, not again. Sorry, it does but. it does look uh, kind of similar, doesn't it? Um, it it really does. Yeah, like a very slim, really nice looking Nintendo DS. Yeah. What the Nintendo DS should have been, or, or a PlayStation Portable? Do you do you remember the PlayStation Portables? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were really weird shaped, weren't they? They were, they were, they were like they a were, controller, though. They didn't flip open. They were, they were, cool. they were premium. They're very nice. They were very nice. Uh, yeah, so it, uh, they certainly looked more premium than the original DS. But one of the things about uh, this Andromeda device is the fact that it folds open like a like a DS. So we've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, since the last time, there'll be a link in the show notes. Sorry for. Uh... For anyone who wants to look at something around this, so we know what it is. Yes. So, um, since we last spoke about it, there were a, a number of new patents that we've seen, and uh, some of them are super detailed. Uh, unsurprisingly, about the hinge, there seems to be a number of different patent, uh, patents for different parts of the system. So, the some show the how the camera is going to work some show how the screens are going to work some show how the hinge is going to work and so on so that it's kind of spread across multiple things but um what we've what we're looking at here is some uh, renders that there'll be a link to in the show notes um where uh, a designer has taken those um uh wire drawings and just said okay if i try and render this based on what it says in here what's it going to look like and it looks really interesting uh to me yeah this has actually seemed like an interesting device i'm a bit upset at the gap in the middle ah, the two screens that yes. is folding so in. i will say this about about it um they like i say we've seen multiple suggestions for how that screen's going to work um, yeah. but the one that this is based on is where the screen curves in, in it's like, if you open it flat, yeah, it, it curves fold. in, in the middle, which means that when the device is closed, part of the screen is showing on the spine of the device. And it means mm-hmm. that when it is folded over, there's, uh, it's, uh, in certain angles, the screen is still visible in the middle. Um, but what it does mean based on this design is that there is a bit of a bump in the middle, um, which means that you couldn't pen if it's open flat, you couldn't pen from one on end to the other without going across a bump. Now, I think that's a bit of a major flaw uh, in it. Like a design like, as a right. I would tool. say though, that these, um, these renders perhaps, 
have made a bad decision in the choice of wallpaper mm-hmm. because the the wallpaper yeah. that they've chosen is essentially one of these exploding um die things you know the ones that we that apple and microsoft have been using recently and uh, uh, google i think as well this, this is the general trend at the moment to right. do these ex- these these exploding things uh, of just color yeah. um and they've used one of those to show it now if you imagine that the software was specifically tailored to know that there's two screens there then perhaps the software wouldn't look like that right if you had like a drawing pane on the left screen and a drawing pane on the right screen then nothing down the middle it probably wouldn't look so weird um running a an an application that doesn't understand it's on two screens across those two screens that have like a gap in the middle it it Mm -hmm. it wouldn't just it seems like it wouldn't just work you know so um so on that side of it i completely agree i think it's i think it's kind of weird looking but I like the fact that the screen they've they in this particular design the screen curves round so that even when the device is closed some of the screen is still visible. I think that's a nice it's a right. nice touch. That that feature I personally like cause I've seen it on like Samsung's before where they do something similar I think. I hate that feature. Here it looks okay and cuz it's kind of subtle and it's like just you know, a bit of text. I guess it's okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. It, but this device does look. It's all about how they handle it in the software. It's all about how they handle it oh, in yeah, the software. For sure, for sure. And going back to the stuff that we talked about are with uh, Apple's Universal applications. This is the continuation of Microsoft's um, Universal platform. Basically, this thing would run the windows on arm version and it would have seashell so it would know i'm in two screens right now i'm in one screen right now i'm in right i'm connected to an external monitor right now it would be able to understand all that and have the application scale across it so this is this is more of that thing that, that they've been aiming yeah for. um so this render has a, a USB-C plug on the side yeah so th- based on so could you plug that into a, a dock and connect it to a monitor and run real applications on it so based on on one again one of the documents that we've seen uh mentions yeah. uh both a USB-C connector that apparently has something different about the way that it works inside so that it's very it's the same it's physically it's the same size but i think when it connects mm-hmm. to the board inside it's it's shorter than usual right. um and they also mentioned the surelink connector or surlink connector i can't remember what they call it which is essentially the surface um connector so the only two connectors we know about that this thing is mentioned is that it has both USB-C and a surface connector Uh, again all of this is just based on based on the little wireframe drawings that we've seen but yeah it it seems to have both USB-C and the surface connector um it doesn't we don't know about where the buttons are we don't know where the camera is um, anything anything on that side is is best guess yeah. really um we don't know what the outside is going to look like we don't know if it's going to have a microsoft logo on it if it's going to have the fabric or if it's going to be metal we just don't know any of this stuff but i it it's interesting it looks like a mini surface book it does yeah and i think it's really interesting that this stuff is still coming out because they cl- they clearly are working on this um and i'm going to put a guess out there i'm I'm gonna make a guess that we hear about it in March. We'll see in March. I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there. I'm saying that you know, we might hear something in March. You know, just if, on the the uh, third photo of this this link, we'll put in the show notes these these renders. I really do like the look of this thing, where it looks like 
a, a notebook with a pen at the side. If you don't look at it in terms of it being a device that folds over like a Nintendo DS and you look at it as in folds over like a book. Yeah. Yes. It does really like it looks very interesting to have a kind of digital notebook, oh, doesn't it? And it does really feel it, like it that. really does it really does seem like it's my uh exactly what I want. Dream. Yeah, it's like my dream device. I've been using Microsoft Whiteboard quite a bit recently and OneNote with the pen mm. on my Surface Book. And I you know, I've mentioned this before, uh, it's uh, it does seem a bit too large on the sofa. You see it on the sofa scenario, the screen is just a little bit too large. And I think this yeah. smaller size would be perfect for that. Um, another thing that I've been doing recently is actually using the uh, the uh, Amazon Fire, which I don't tend to use a great deal. I don't do anything um, super interesting on it, but I do use it to watch uh, videos and things uh, when... Um, it's just convenient for watching videos and doing right. um, audible and stuff like that. If if I got one of these, uh, the the fire's irrelevant. Useless. I, I don't need it. Like I, I wouldn't bother using it. Yeah, yeah, and I wouldn't bother using my phone either. And it would rep- essentially replace those devices um, straight away. Uh, and I would l- to be able to ink on a device that's smaller like this would be wonderful for me. I would, I'd really, really enjoy it. Yeah. It does seem very interesting. I'd like to see this. Um, I, I, I get that why they, they can't have, um, completely flat edges and connecting screens on both yeah, sides. In we'll the middle. see. We'll see. Because otherwise you'd have some dirty hinges, but they, I hope that isn't too much of a problem. They did show they have, um, in the stuff that has come out, they did show multiple types of screen. This screen that we're looking at in these renders, the focus of the patent itself was on the hinge, which is, mm-hmm. you can see, it's quite an interesting looking hinge. It's got like, um, you've got the, the each side and then it's got like an extra piece of what looks like metal in the middle, which is kind of rounded off. And it allows for the device to be folded all the way one way and all the way the other. Um, and in order to make that hinge work, that's why the screen is curved at that edge. And because yeah. it's curved at that edge, when it goes flat, there's that bump, that kind of bump that goes yeah. in, in the middle. Um, but they did show other types of screens that did not have that. So uh, who, who knows? Who knows? Whether it looks exactly like this, I don't I don't know. But this is this is basically one of the things that they've been prototyping. Either way, I'd, it would be very cool. To I see. just, I just wanted to mention it again because, um, you know, this time we're actually seeing something, uh, getting an idea for what it might look like. And we've seen, we've all seen renders yeah. for other devices in the past. We don't necessarily know that it's going to be anything like this. But yeah, that's that's basically all I've got to say on it for now. I hope we see something in March. And yeah, the, that's that's my then estimate. We talk about it then. We'll see. We'll see. I saw something on Twitter recently that that kind of annoyed me, and this is this is a bit silly. So. I really like police dogs. I think they're really like, especially because they're so well trained and like they they kind of they obviously can be nice, but they're quite powerful dogs. And I do like the fact that um, the police kind of show them off a bit. And like they were in Crufts, for example, a couple of years ago. And they so they have this this Twitter account for my local uh, my local ta- like city um, or region police dogs. And I really like them because they post like the photos of the dogs like doing good work and like you know having a treat, for example. However, something that really annoyed me about them, and I think this is a police department, and they're, they're quite they need to be quite authoritative. Is they're like 
posting tweets with emoji and saying like they've got an image of a meme and it's like why are you doing this like you're an authoritative like you could post pictures of your own dogs but posting memes just to try and gain like followers on twitter i think it's a bit of a kind of pathetic thing to do for it for such an authoritative like dog unit like i don't know what you guys think about this but Am I being silly, or is this just like end of a bugbear? Ooh, yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm just, just having a look a look through the timeline. Uh, yeah, it's a combination of like serious stuff and then lulls, and it's just like, well, yeah, what? It's like they're, what are you doing they're here? trying to gain followers, and it's like you're not a you're, That's I mean, not there shouldn't here, be their agenda. The yeah. Yeah, I, I, that is about people partying on December thirty first, and then being drunk and fighting with each other on the first. And it's like, stop it! Like you are, you are. Oh, this really irritates me, guys. Yeah, really if, I don't know. if you're I, if you're part of the police service, right? Why are you showing a picture of people fighting, <laughs> like as if it's a joke? Yeah. And even like the so the link I've got here that I'll put in the show notes is a meme about dogs, and it's a, it's like an owner saying basically it's my dog's birthday and sending a photo of the dog dressed up, and the the caption is like fair comment and it's got like four emoji and it's like I don't I just don't get it like oh yeah and this isn't a retweet like, this is them yeah 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 this is them so, so you, they've you just they've just sourced some some image off the internet which someone's probably found on facebook right. or something else and then just repost exactly it. so someone someone who runs his account seen on facebook and be like oh i'll tweet it and i like i like i really like the stuff about their dogs and like how they've been and like what they've been up to and like you know saying they're really good and the videos that they do with them because dogs are cool but i just think trying to to meme trying to gain followers by being like an average social user which is not what they are yeah it's a bit silly and wrong of them in a way uh i don't know i don't disagree and i don't agree like like twitter is twitter right like the whole point of what's the point in having a an account on twitter if nobody follows it and i know there's i'm I'm not saying you should go out of your way to gain followers in a way Mm -hmm. that's like like against your values like if they started doing competitions like on twitter to win (laughs) things follow for a win winning then it would be totally wrong but oh yeah i don't know i think i think you've got to understand that not everyone knows like how to get the best out of social media um and i think when you're um something like a police department it's a gray area because they probably don't have a lot of budget for a marketing team right like that like you know how Companies like Slack and and, and mm-hmm. various Microsoft, they they have the actual teams that just run Twitter. But why so, do why do a police station need a, a marketing budget? They, they need pro- budgets what to I'm perform their jobs. Is, exactly, like, but they don't need no, no, a marketing no, what budget. Exactly, what I'm trying to say is there is no marketing budget. I'm saying that this is probably right. done by by an officer mm, or right. a set of officers. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. And it might it might help themselves with their own team building. Like we don't know, do we? Yeah. But it's you, it's you, still you don't they, know. they are and it's still a public face of the organization. And I think um there's a, there is a 
they've just crossed the line a little bit in some places. Uh, some of them, like, um, you know, if you if you kind of scroll down, they've got ones of their own officers and their own dogs in, like, sweet situations. Like, for example, you know, dressed with tinsel for Christmas. But it, it's their dog, right? Mm-hmm. But in other places, they've just retweeted or posted pictures just from the internet. And yeah, it's like, it's a mixture of randomly sourced co- uh, content just for the sake of it. And then stuff that's actually theirs and they've created. It just kind of, it's a bit mixed. But where I kind of... I don't know. I, I've I had a quick look at the first few. There's a, there's, a, there's a running theme here. Everything that they've retweeted has something to do with crime or um, okay, maybe burglaries. Or, or, or look at the look at the link I've put in in the notes for this episode, Jordan. The, the specific tweet that is, for example, is a perfect example of what I'm talking about here. Yeah, and there's others as well. There's a, if you scroll down, yeah, there's like others. What the what the one where it's like, can you hang out? Yes. Yes, I. Uh, it's got a dog in it. <laughs> it's, right, it's exactly like, the whole point, exactly. Jordan. Like this is they're the trying dog. to they're trying to like meme and see. Uh, this is the thing, right? I want. I I would love to follow these purely because of like I love the things about their own dogs and like I think the fact that they've got a little Trixie, which is Jordan's dog, um, with a Santa hat on, being like really cute, and it's like okay, yeah. So this guy, this this girl just assisted uh, officers in Huddersfield after suspected located in Woodland. She found them and found the stolen property. It's like, fuck you. Oh, shit. <laughs> I love dogs. Like, dogs are awesome. I'm going to have to mute that. And um, I think it's like really I cool. But I, I think stuff like, hey, uh, you sleep kid, I'll watch for Santa meme. Yeah. It's like, no. Yeah, but look, look, look at who 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 they retweeted. No, I get that. I see it's Fireside K9. But I think that Fireside K9 are also in the wrong for tweeting about this. Yeah. Why? What? What? I okay, totally disagree. No, okay, see, Fireside K9, they can have it because they're a charity. Yeah, they're a charity. They can get away with it because they're a charity. All right, so I take I that back. Know. However, verify, verified West Yorkshire Police dogs, no. Stick, stick with your your like your dogs are cool enough. You don't need to meme. <laughs> like, I get, I get, I, I get updated. it, I get it. And um, I think if, do, if I was, yeah. And I, the thing for me is, if I if I was interested in uh, in following someone, but half of their stuff was just rubbish, I'd probably feel the same way. Um, I have I have unfollowed people before because they've while their content has been interesting to me most of the time every so often they tweeted something that i was just like i don't want to see this this isn't something i want to see yeah so i would not follow them right but i wouldn't follow them personally having said this they have twenty five thousand followers the majority of their tweets are either related to dogs or policing and that's that that their their account is not west yorkshire police which is if you look at that one that is very much straight to the point right i'm just going to reiterate this the people who are running this twitter account do not are not twitter like they're not marketeers they are probably police officers and they probably have their own twitter accounts and they will just use twitter how they see other people using twitter they're not they're not it won't be endorsed like i said with any kind of like marketing strategy around it there won't be a brand voice right yeah but of course it's verified it has to be verified it's because it's a it's a 
uh, a government uh, council type. Do you know what I mean? They've ever got been verified because it's an actual. It's saying that you're West Yorkshire Police, mm. right? I suppose the verify doesn't necessarily like, mean I can, that it's, I, you, uh, all you have to do is go it's, click it's, the verify button, and you and. No, oh, no. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I've just sent you guys another one of the the RPU unit. So it's a roads policing unit of West Yorkshire. Yeah, they've they're, used they're, a that, that, I was, Star Trek I was looking meme, at West, West Yorkshire Police RPU um, as well. <laughs> yeah, they've 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 got a few like that as well. Actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I typically I like the RPU ones um, as well because I like car stuff. So it's interesting to see what's going on. I mean, mostly because you just get a lot of people that's been speeding um, and they get pulled over. But the, the dog one, I think, is better. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't really appreciate the memeing. And I think they do enough cool stuff as a dog unit with their own amazing smart dogs who are really cool and can do impressive, really, really impressive things. I don't think they need to publicly try and meme to gain followers because they have the resources I to do it. I don't think already. they're doing it to gain followers, Andrew. I oh, really no, don't. Why are they on Twitter then? Like, they're on, not to gain followers, but publicity, right? Like, they want to be known. No. Like, they're, 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 why are they the, on Twitter? The way they come, they're on their Twitter because they've, there's a team of dog, there's a dog unit and what, someone's gone, oh, let's just set up a Twitter account so we can, like, like document what we do it's, with the dogs. Well, That's how the conversation will probably Right, but it's, it's, it's for publicity. It's like, so people see it. And I don't, I don't mean publicity in the same sense of like trying to be famous. I, I think, but I mean the same. You spec- like, I think I, I, I totally think you're, you're speculating yeah. and assuming on why they've set up the Twitter account. I don't think. Well, so you, are you? You're kind of saying no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm saying we don't know why why they set up the Twitter account. Um, right, and but it, it's way, more. It's just as likely as my as as my situation to happen as yours. And I I don't think you're you're basically speculating and assuming that they're tweeting these memes to gain followers. I don't like. I don't tweet memes to gain followers. I tweet memes because they relate to me. Right, and but I the think time, they're funny. You have a Twitter account because it's it's like a public presence, right? And I don't mean publicity so in the sense that you know it's like oh. um you know, I'm trying to be famous, right? Because I'm not trying. I don't think they're trying to do that. Like, I'm not saying they're trying to gain Twitter followers for the sake of being famous. I just mean the whole point of having stuff on the internet is that it's public and people can go and find it and see it, right? And they're trying to boost that that viewership, which is it's a completely fine thing to do, but it's just in the wrong way. Viewership. And they, I think they have the resources to do it in the normal way, and also. Retweeting someone who's doing a follow Friday of police accounts. Also, that's weird. But I don't, uh, I don't know. I... Follow Friday. Was not that a thing yeah, because in like that's years what... ago? <laughs> no, I, I really don't think. Doing I think old people... memes now. <laughs> yeah, I really don't think it's fair to, to judge, judge them. I really don't. Like, I think Do you you've not... got a Twitter right. account. Because... What would you rather see on the Twitter account? Their own dogs are doing really cool, smart stuff. Or copied memes from somewhere else i kind of don't i don't really have an opinion on it like no I, no straight up question right all right if i gave you two photos and you had to take one and it was something that you'd you'd want to put on your wall and look at right would it be a photo of your dog doing something really smart or would it be a photo of 
some random dog that's really goofy that's managed to wear a hat on Twitter. I don't know. Like, that's like you would take your like, like, I, you would take your dog I doing don't the smart know. stuff, like the smart call cool stuff. I don't know. And that is true. I don't know. Yes, you no, would. it's not true. I can't, you can't predict. Like, you can't predict exactly what I would choose. But how could you say I'm it's not say. what you would choose? I would probably choose them both. No, that's not and, an option. Oh God. Well, you can't give me two options that I wouldn't potentially, and and not give me the option I would choose. Right, I've said it multiple times now. But I'm going to say is they have the ability, they have the resources to do really cool posts already. They do not need to meme to get the viewership and have people be impressed with the stuff they're doing and be really. Uh, And I'm sure that they don't. And I'm sure if you said that to them, they'd be like, "We're not, we're not trying to meme to gain followers." We don't know that the memes. No, but I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm making. Stop just using the term "gain followers." I used it accidentally, and I've corrected myself. <laughs> for for what? What was what? What are you saying for publicity? I don't think it's publicity. Well, for, like, like, for people being impressed with the stuff they do, not just not like the the need to be famous and have millions of followers. It's just the the presence online that people are happy with, and they get some good feedback on. Like, it's it's different to gaining followers because I don't I don't think they're trying to gain followers in the sense that like they're trying to be famous. I think if people didn't like it, they wouldn't have as many followers as they do. I reckon so, they'd have more if they stopped memeing. I think that's. <laughs> mm, I was I don't joking. Know. Don't worry. No, 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 no. But it's a, it's a, it's a good so like that that kind of observation. Like I wouldn't follow them. It's the memes because isn't it? of the meme because yeah, of the memes. Same. But that's that's my only that's but that's only because I don't like that kind of. Shit. I don't like it either, and that's is this the same thing. I but, wouldn't I wouldn't follow but some them. people. I do. don't mind it and, from people who or accounts who are available to do, but I think they're really authoritative. They have really cool resources, really cool dogs. They don't need to do yeah. it personally. That's my personal opinion. I get you. I get you. I'm glad you do. <laughs> Just a bugbear, anyway. I saw that, and it, it really kind of got to me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode 15 of the Mavis Podcast. You can find the show notes for today's episode by going to mavispodcast.com slash 15. You can tweet us your questions at Mavis Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Hathaway. You can find Julian on Twitter at Julian K. And Jordan is at Jordan is on Fire.